Thank you, brother. You know, I remember when the Holy Spirit began convicting me and showing me my great need for a Savior, you know, and, and how lost and undone I truly felt deep down in my soul. And I began to feel the weight and the burden of my sin, you know, and I realized when I got saved, I needed Jesus. I realized that with every fiber of my being, you know, and it was probably over a two or three week period there that I was under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and just could get no rest. And the Lord just showed me how much I needed him. And so if you're here tonight and you've experienced the same thing, you've experienced the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and God's showing you just how much that uh, you need him, then you know what I'm talking about. But let me tell you what I've come to realize. I needed Jesus the moment I got saved. There's no doubt about that. But I need him, I need him right now, right in this very moment. Matter of fact, I need him just as much right now as I needed him then. If I'm ever going to be effective in doing what he saved me to do and being what he saved me to be, I need him, I need him now. I need him tomorrow. I'll need him next week and next month and next year. I'll always need him. And we should be dependent upon him. Now, the good news is, the Bible says he's our ever-present help in the time of need. So when we realize our great need for him, when we call out unto him, he hears our cry. And listen, folks, he's able to do for us what we can't do for ourselves, just, just like he did when he saved us. And so uh, I'm so thankful for that song tonight, brother. Great job. Take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, and I'm going to do everything in my power to finish um, chapter 7 tonight. We've been in here for a month, and you know, we, we've spent two weeks of study in chapter 7, and, and then uh, last week we, we had business meeting, didn't have time to get back to it, and, uh, and so tonight it is my purpose and my plan to, uh, to finish up where we started last time we were together, and I know I've said that before, uh, but we're going to try our best to do it tonight, and, and I, I don't apologize for spending, you know, time in the Word of God. If it takes a month to get through it, let's take a month and get through it. Uh, I love J. Vernon McGee, and he always said we need to chew, the, chew on the Word of God and we get the juice out of it, and I, I like that. I think that's, that's really good advice. Now, I'm still not sure we've got all the juice out of it, but we're going to do what we can tonight to finish up with chapter 7, move on to chapter 8, because there's some great truth there as well. Now, we, let, we found out last time we were together uh, that the Apostle Paul took chapter 7, 40 verses. He spent a long time talking to the church at Corinth and telling them all they needed to know about marriage and what uh, really the ground rules of marriage are and, and were to be for them. And I told you last time we, we spoke here in, in 1 Corinthians that, um, you know, what Paul said to the church at Corinth in telling them what they needed to know about marriage is certainly relevant for us and what we need to know about the ground rules of marriage. And there's a reason for that. First of all, because the word of God is a living word. If you believe that tonight, say amen. This is not some ancient text, uh, not just some ancient text written 2,000 years ago. It's much more than that. It's relevant for our lives today. This word is alive and it's powerful, the Bible says, um, to, to give us exactly what we need. And so that's the first reason that it's relevant for us, because this word is living. It's true for us, just like it was true for them. But also, you need to understand the context in which this was written. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, Corinth was a very 
um, wicked place, an extremely wicked place. And like we, we said last time we were together, it was a sex-crazed culture, a sex-crazed society. It was in Corinth that they had erected a temple um, to the goddess Aphrodite and Venus, who were the uh, goddesses of, of sex of the uh, Greek and Roman mythology. And so in that temple where they worshipped Aphrodite and Venus, there were about a thousand priestesses, and these priestesses that worked in these temples were nothing more than prostitutes raising money for the temple itself. And so in Corinth, they not only agreed with um, fornication and adultery, but they also celebrated fornication and adultery. I mean, it was just a way of the world there. But folks, if we look around us in our current culture and the society that we live in today right here in America, it's not that different from what we see in Corinth. We too live in a sex-crazed society. We too live in a, a place where not only fornication and adultery is accepted, but celebrated. And, and so what the truth that God gave the, the church at Corinth through the Apostle Paul is certainly relevant for us. It applies to them, but it applies to me and you as well. And so what he does, he starts there in, in verse number. And that's what I love about the Word of God. I want you to think about this. Do you, let me ask you, do you believe the Word of God to be powerful tonight? Do you believe the word of God to be precious? <laughs> Me too. It's powerful because it is God-breathed. It's precious to us because it helps me in my day-to-day -day life. But let me give you another thing the word of God is. And I'm so thankful for it. The word of God is very practical. It gives us practical wisdom for the world we live in, for the situations that we're going to face on a day-to-day -day basis. And if we'll take God's word and make application to our lives, then we can honor God in what we do and in what we don't do. And so it's very practical for the daily things that we're going to face each and every day. And that's really what we find here in chapter 7. Now, he talks about marriage all through this, but he uses three separate groups to talk about it. First of all, he talks about marriage um, and when marriage is between two believers, when there is a man and a woman, a husband and a wife that are both believers. Let me say that again. There's a man and a woman, a husband and a wife that are both believers. Let me say it one more time for those of you who might have missed it. There is a man and a woman and a husband and a wife who are both believers. Do you realize that godly biblical marriage, which is the only marriage that really exists, anything that's not, uh, that is done outside of what God says marriage is to be is not marriage at all. It is God who defined marriage and it, the God who created and defined marriage tells us what marriage is certainly supposed to be. And he says marriage is between a man and a woman, husband and wife, over and over and over and over again, from Genesis all the way through the New Testament. Listen, God said it in Genesis, and then God said it in Matthew. We looked at it last week when the God-man, the Son of God and God the Son, uh, spoke of marriage. He spoke of marriage as being between a man and a woman, a husband, and a wife. If you believe it, say amen. Now, regardless of what anybody else says, regardless of what um, you know, our lawmakers say, I don't know if you know it or not, but just this last week, Congress voted to ratify into law the Obergefell decision that was passed by the Supreme Court just a few years ago in 2015. The Oberg Obergefell decision actually legalized same-sex marriage. 
and they voted and made that law this past week. And I, I, don't, I want to just let you in on something. I know that sometimes we try to draw a line between Democrat and Republican, but I'm, I, I really think you could probably put just about all of them in the same sack and pour them out no matter which one falls out. It really does it because 47 Republicans voted to ratify that into law just this past week. Now, I'm glad that we're recognizing it's our legislators that we have elected. They're the ones who are supposed to make law. But I'm certainly not pleased with the laws they're voting on. So regardless of what our lawmakers say, regardless of what the Supreme Court says, regardless of what the ACLU says, regardless of what anybody says, marriage, godly marriage, biblical marriage, is between one man and one woman. Now, he talks about that, marriage between a Christian man and a Christian woman, a husband and a wife, in the first 11 verses and what the ground rules of that are supposed to look like. And then he moves on to a relationship between a believer, one who is trusted in Jesus, and, and a non-believer, one who's not yet trusted in Jesus. Now, before I go any further with that, I want, just want to review just a little bit of what we talked about last week. Now, let me make this very clear to you because we all need to hear it uh, according to what the, the Bible teaches. Do you realize Paul is not saying here that a believer should marry a non-believer? That's never been God's will. That's never been God's plan. That's never been God's purpose. You say, brother, how do you know that? Well, I know that according to 1 Corinthians 7, verse number 39. Paul makes it extremely clear in the 39th verse that, it, that uh, a believer is supposed to only marry another believer. Look what he says. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will. Watch what he says there. Only in the Lord. So what he's saying is if you've got a widow who has lost her husband, she can be married again, but as a believer, she needs to only be married in the Lord or to someone who is in Jesus, another believer, a Christ follower. And if that's not plain enough for all of us, we need to look at 2 Corinthians 6.14. Watch what he says there. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and the 14th verse. Look, at, look how Paul puts it. He says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion hath light with darkness. So he makes it clear that it's never been God's plan or purpose for a unbeliever to marry, or excuse me, for a, a believer to marry an unbeliever. For one who has been born again to marry one who's not yet been born again. You got to get context, in, in context what Paul is talking about, who he's talking to. If you remember in Corinth, they were being saved out of pagan religions. I mean, they were all worshiping false gods there in Corinth when Paul came along. And he began preaching the gospel. And through the preaching of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit, people trusted in Jesus as Lord. Now, some of the husbands trusted in Jesus as Lord and, and some of the wives didn't. Or maybe some of the wives trusted in Jesus as Lord, and maybe some of the husbands didn't. They were already married, but um, while Paul came preaching, some of them believed and some of them did not. And so Paul makes it plain. He says, look, if you're a husband who's just been born again uh, into the family uh, of God and your wife has not yet become a believer and she wants to remain in the marriage, then let her stay. And, and maybe by the, the light and the lifestyle, the lifestyle that is the light, Maybe that unbeliever in the marriage, whether it be the husband or the wife, 
will be won to Christ, led to Jesus, by how the other spouse, the believer, is living out their faith. You'll be a witness to them in the home. And I'm going to tell you, the, the greatest way uh, you can witness is in your home. It really is. And, and Paul makes it plain, if they want to stay, let them stay. But if they don't want to stay, he goes on to say, they don't want to remain in the marriage. In verse number uh, 15, he says, that the, if the unbelieving wants to depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. And so... He deals with marriage between two believers, and then he deals with marriage when one of the spouses is not, has not yet been born again, how to deal with that. We talked about that last time we were together. Then right in the middle of this section of Scripture, starting in, in verse number 18, he deals with some things that I, I think it's very important that we make note of tonight because I've heard a whole lot of false teaching concerning uh, what Paul said right here in 1 Corinthians 7, starting in verse number 18. Look what he tells us. Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. So what's he mean when he says, be called? Well, he's talking about when, again, God the Holy Spirit convicts your heart and, and you make the decision to trust in Jesus. You've been called to the Lord. This is what he's talking about. Now, before I get into this section that we're about to look at, I want to make two statements to you about what I believe, truly believe, Paul is telling us here. First of all, Paul encourages people to stay in the current situation that they are in. All right? He makes that plain. The, the second thing that I think Paul is saying is that we don't need to allow what is going on in the physical to hinder or hamper your spiritual walk and growth in Christ. And so, in light of those two things that I just told you, let's talk about what he says in verse number 18. First of all, if he's talking about the circumcised and the uncircumcised, what's he actually meaning? Jews and Gentiles, exactly. So what he's saying is, if when you were called or when you got saved, when God the Holy Spirit done a work in your life that only God can do, and at that time you were a Jew, it doesn't mean that now just because you've got saved you need to become a Gentile. And he says if you were a Gentile when you were called, when you were saved, and, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to become a Jew. He said you don't have to change whether you're a Jew or a Gentile just because you trusted in Jesus. And we'll see the reason for that in just a moment. But then he goes a step further. Look what else he says. He says in verse 19, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. He said it's not about what's going on in the physical, but it is about your walk and growth in Jesus. Amen? Not about the physical, but the spiritual. Very important. Look what else he says. Verse 20, let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Stay in, the, stay in the same situation that you're in. And then he says this, watch, verse 21. Art thou being called being a servant? Care not for it, but if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. He said, look, if you're, when you were saved, if you were saved as a slave, that doesn't mean that you're automatically going to gain your freedom in the physical, political sense, right? In the public that you live in. 
He said, that doesn't mean that's going to happen. Now, if it does happen, use it for the glory of God. If you are made free, well, praise the Lord. But if you are not made free, you can still serve the Lord, grow in the Lord, and certainly be used of the Lord even as a slave. Now, the reason I want to bring this up tonight, because I've heard this used by critics of the Bible, liberal theologians, time upon time again, to say that somehow Paul was promoting slavery in these verses, or somehow the Bible is promoting slavery in these verses. Listen to me, folks. That could not be further from the truth. That's not what Paul is saying here at all, at all. Anybody who thinks Paul promoted slavery has never read the writings of Paul. Anybody who says Paul was promoting slavery right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is saying that to fit their own narrative and to mislead others. And they're taking this verse completely out of context. If you read all that Paul writes, he talks a whole lot about freedom. A man who loves freedom and preaches about freedom and, and listen, who offers freedom to all who receive it like Paul does, I don't think he promotes slavery not one little bit. But what Paul is saying, just because you trust in Jesus, it doesn't mean that it's going to change your physical situation from being a slave to a free man. That may not happen. That's what he's saying here. Let me tell you what I wish. I wish that the world had the same excitement over a sinner being born again that a sinner has who has been born again. <laughs> I wish they saw things the same way. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? I wish that the world around us was just as excited about somebody getting saved as those who have been saved are excited about it. I wish they viewed things like we view things. I wish they could see that in Christ we are truly made free, but the world don't see it like that. Let me see if I can illustrate that for you. How many of you ever saw the movie, uh, Old Brother, Where Art Thou? One of my favorite movies. I love it. Do you remember the scene when they're, um, the, the three inmates that have escaped the, the prison in Mississippi, when they're walking through the woods there and they walk up on the uh, church out there baptizing in the river? Do y'all remember that? And now, my favorite on there was Delbert. Do y'all remember Delbert, the little guy? Yeah, Delbert, Pete, and Ulysses. Ulysses was the, uh, was the George Clooney played that character. And so, they're all walking there through the woods, and, and they get up to the place where the church is out there baptizing, and, and Delbert, hey, listen, he sees what's going on, and he runs just as fast as he can run down in the water, talks to the pastor there, and gets baptized. Do you remember that? And so Delbert comes up out of the water, walks back up onto the shore, and he tells, I can't quote it word for word, but he tells Pete and Ulysses, he says, I have been redeemed. The preacher said that all my sins have been washed away and that God nor man has nothing on me now. You remember that? And I remember what, I think it was Pete said, well, what about, he said, what about that uh, Piggly Wiggly you robbed down in Yazoo City? <laughs> Now listen, Delbert had it right. For those of, of, of us who have come to Christ and trusted in, the, in him for the forgiveness of our sin, the Bible says that our redemption is sure. It's solid. 
And it's sure and it's solid because it's founded on the solid rock of the Lord Jesus himself. We are truly redeemed. We are forgiven by God. But just because we've been forgiven by God, that doesn't mean that the physical world that we live in is going to see things the same way. They're not going to be as excited about it as we are. They're not going to look at it the same way we look at it. That don't mean that, that, that God hadn't forgiven us and made us new. It just means that we live in a world that's a fallen creation, that's full of sin, that is against God and against his truth. Paul here is not promoting slavery. Paul is simply saying God is so good, God is so powerful, God is so great that even if you are a slave, God can still use you, you can still grow in Jesus, and you can still experience the true freedom that comes in knowing Christ as your personal Savior. That's what he's saying. Regardless of your situation, look at the next verse, watch. He says this. He says, um, verse number 21, are you, being, are, are you called being a servant? Care not for it. He says, don't let that worry you. Don't let that get to you. If you can be made free, use it for good. But then look at verse number 22. For he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's free man. He said, you may be a slave in the physical, but if you have been born again, you are free in Christ. Amen? And that's what really matters. That's what really makes all the difference. And then he says this, watch. The rest of verse 22. Likewise, also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. So what, what's, he, what's he telling us? Whether you are a free man or you are a slave, we are all in Jesus. Amen? Now I want to make a statement to you that I want you to remember. I want you to write this down. Scripture must always be interpreted in light of Scripture. I've said it before in a different way. Sometimes I tell you that the best commentary on the Word of God is what? The Word of God itself. What I mean by that, Scripture must always be interpreted in light of Scripture. So I'm going to give you some really good commentary on 1 Corinthians chapter number 7 in Galatians chapter 3. Those of you who were here for our study of Galatians, you may remember this verse. Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 28. Watch what Paul says right here. There is neither Jew nor Greek, or if you want to use the terminology of 1 Corinthians 7, there is neither circumcised or uncircumcised. There is neither bond nor free. If you want to use the terminology of 1 Corinthians 7, slave or free man, servant or free man. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. What's he saying? First of all, he is saying the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Somebody say amen to that. Isn't that good news? Do you know we all come to Jesus the same way? You know how I came to Jesus as a sinner standing in need of a Savior. Now whether I'm Jew or Gentile, Slave or free man, male or female, we all going to come to Jesus the same way if we're going to come to Jesus. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Now, none of us have any higher standing than the other if we are in Christ. You get me? The Bible says God is no respecter of persons. That means God doesn't love me any more than he loves Shane. 
And God doesn't love Shane anymore than he loves Kyle. And God, and listen, God don't love Kyle anymore than he loves, than he loved Billy Graham. And he didn't love Billy Graham anymore uh, than, than he loved Don. God is no respecter of persons. In Christ, we are all one. Does that mean that we are the same in every way? Listen to me. Equal does not mean same. Right? And I think that's where we're missing it today as far as the gender issue goes. Equal does not mean same. Just because you are equal in value doesn't mean that you are same in function. It doesn't. Let me tell you why the young man who competed as a swimmer in Pennsylvania won the state championship there. Let me tell you why he did that. Because equal don't mean same. Here you have a mediocre male swimmer at best who goes and swims against females and set the state record by a long ways. I mean, blew it out of the water. How is that possible? Because he's a man competing with women. Now, does that mean women are less than men? No. Does that mean women are less important than men are? No. It just means we're different. We're created differently. Equal does not mean same. When he says there's no difference, don't misinterpret that verse. When he says there's no difference in male and female, he's talking about in Christ, we are all one. We came to Jesus the same way. We have trusted in Jesus the same way by faith. And listen, we are able to do what God does through us by his power all in the same way. Regardless of where we are in the physical. Our focus should not be on the physical, but on the spiritual. Go back to 1 Corinthians 7. Watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. Verse number 23, watch how he puts it. You are bought with a price. <laughs> I love it. Be not ye servants of men. He said, quit worrying about what pleases men and what men think and what the physical world thinks and how they operate. You are bought with a price. You've been called to a higher calling. Amen? Don't serve men and what, don't think like men think. Don't be like the world is because you're not of the world. You're in Jesus. So quit worrying about all this other stuff. Trust the Lord right where you are. Learn of the Lord right where you are. And by the power of God, live out your faith right where you are and praise God, bloom where you planted. Amen? <laughs> now let, me, let me go a step further with that. Let me tell you something that just happened, you know, um, to me as a pastor personally many years ago. I had a man in my church who, you know, the Lord radically saved. I'm telling you, Jesus just got a hold of this brother and, and radically changed his life. Don't you like seeing that? I love seeing that. There, there's a lot of things I don't like about being a pastor. I'm just going to be honest. But let me tell you what I really like. When I see God do the work in a person's life that only God can do. That makes it all worth it. 
When I see husbands, fathers, wives, mothers on fire for Jesus, leading their families to Christ, that makes it all worth it. When I see people excited about serving the Lord, that makes it all worth it. And I love to see, I, I love to see what God did in that man's life. Radically changed him. He'd been saved about six months. He was a very successful businessman. Had a great business. And he came to me and he said, Brother, I think I'm going to go full-time in the ministry. And I said, well, listen, man, if that's something God's leading you to do, by all means, do that. But make sure that's what God wants. Sometimes I think we have the mindset that, you know, when we get saved, we're supposed to automatically go into the ministry somehow. Well, guess what? God certainly calls you into the ministry, but your ministry may look different than mine. Amen? God will give you a pulpit, but it may not look like this one. Um, Dan Cathy, who is the founder of Chick-fil-A, said something years ago to men's conference I'll never forget. Bless my soul. He said that he had always prayed that somehow God would put him into the ministry. He wanted to be a pastor. He said, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. He said, God just never opened that door. He was never able to do that. Just wasn't what God called him to do. Wasn't God, what God wanted him to do. And he said, one day, he came to the realization. He began to realize that God had certainly put him in the ministry. And God had given him a pulpit. But his pulpit was about 20 feet long with four cash registers on it. What did he mean by that? He meant that he could honor God, serve God, glorify the Lord, right where he was. And sometimes, you know what? God blesses people with good business sense and they can be used in the kingdom of God in a fantastic way. The reason I say that, this brother came to me and said, man, I'm selling my business. I'm going full-time into the ministry. And he did. Sold his business. Went full-time into the ministry and it lasted about six months. And then guess what he did? Went back to his business. Went to work as a hired hand. Worked his way back up and bought the business again. What Paul is saying is, don't think that just because you got saved, you got to change everything about your life. What you need to do is trust Jesus. Listen, allow him to work on you, work in you, and work through you so that he might accomplish his good will and purpose in your life wherever it is, wherever it is. Now, God may call you into the ministry. I'm not saying that. Please don't misunderstand. But that's not a have to. That's not a prerequisite for you to really be used for the Lord. You can be used for the Lord wherever you're at, wherever you're at. Now, let's go on. The last group that he speaks of here in verse number uh, starting in verse number 25, is the unmarried Christians. He spoke to the married Christians. He spoke to the Christians where there's one believer in the marriage and a non-believer. And now he speaks to the unmarried Christians. Look what he says, starting in the 25th verse. Now concerning virgins or those who have never been married, I have no commandment of, of, the, of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord and is to be faithful. He's saying, look, you know, this is not something that, that, you, that Jesus said. He said, but I am going to give you some wisdom that you need to adhere to when it comes to getting married. And you got to remember now, keep this in context with what was actually going on in Corinth at that time, 
Okay? And when he starts talking about marriage here, you need, to, you need to see that he's talking about it in context of what was going on politically, what was going on economically. Because at that time, politically, there was a lot of changes going on. There was a lot of political unrest. At that time, um, the economy was in the, was in the dumps. I mean, it wasn't good at all. And so he's just giving them some good, godly wisdom, some good advice that we all need to take in, into consideration. Look, look what he says. He says, verse 26, I suppose, therefore, that it is good for the uh, present distress. I say that it is good for a man not so to be. So he says, look, I would say that right now, if you're not married, that's not necessarily a bad thing. And he starts giving his reasons why. He is not in any way saying that marriage is sinful. He's just saying that you've got to look at what's going on right now and look at this sensibly. Look how he says it. He says then, Verse 27, art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. He said, look, if you've got a wife, that don't mean you ought to get out of your marriage. And he says to him, if you don't have a wife, that don't mean you got to have one. Then he says, verse 28, but and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. He said, what you need to understand when it comes to marriage, in the current climate that you live in, if you marry, you're going to have trouble. I wish I could tell you that in my marriage, we never have trouble. The truth is, me and Miss Brandy we seldom fight, but we have some spirited disagreements. Y'all have any of that? Now, there have been some times we've had some really good fights. We try to stay out of them. We try to, we try to you know, now that we, we've got a little time under, on, on, in our marriage and, and we're, we're no longer rookies, we're kind of like, you know what? I'm not going in that area anymore. I already know the stuff that's going to make her really mad, and she already knows the stuff that's going to make me really mad. And when it starts getting to that point, I just cut it off. I'm like, nah. We're not going there. You know how I get, and I know how you get. Let's just cool off for a little while, and we'll talk about it later. I think that's wise. Matter of fact, I know it's wise for us. I know it's wise. Because nobody can push my buttons like that woman. Nobody. All right? I love her. I can talk about her. She ain't here. <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just saying. She knows everything about me. She knows what makes me tick. And I do her as well. So when it gets to some of those areas that we've already been in before, I don't even go there. I just get out of it. I back out. No sense in it. It's not going to do any good. Now listen to me. Listen to me though. Paul is telling us, you need to think about what you're getting into before you get into it. Don't think that just because you're getting married that everything's going to be a bed of roses because it's not. There's going to be some trouble. Is it worth it? For me, it is. Absolutely, it's worth it. Hey, I, I love being married. I'm thankful for my wife. I got a great life. Got a great marriage. Not a perfect marriage, but I got a great marriage. So thankful for her. But I'm saying, in every marriage, trouble will arise. And so he's telling them, you've got to be ready to face the consequences of what you do. And we all do. That's what he means about verse 28. He said it's not a sin, but you just need to understand there's going to be some consequences. And then he goes to four different areas, all right, that everybody's going to face. 
that every man, woman, boy, and girl will face in this world, I want to give them to you. He first of all talks about marriage. We saw that. And then he gives us four other things. Look at verse number 30. Or excuse me, let's go back to um, verse number 29 before we go, in, go on. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. Um, it remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. So, so what does Paul mean by this when he says, if you've got a wife, as far as your relationship to the Lord goes, it'll be like you got none. Now, what he means by that is that even though you're married, and that, that spouse in your life is the most important person physically in the world to you. And that's how it's got to be if it's going to work. Let me tell you this. Husbands, the number one physical relationship you ought to have in your life is your wife. It's not your mama. I love my mama. Thankful for my mama. I'm a mama's boy, grew up a mama's boy. But let me tell you what I've realized in my marriage. My number one physical relationship in my life with a woman, listen, it's not my mama. I don't go and ask my mama. I don't go and talk to my mama about things I should be talking to my wife about. Are you getting me? That's why the scripture says, book of Genesis, that a man and a, that should leave and do what? Leave and cleave. Leave mama and daddy and cleave to that woman. You got to do that. Let me say something else. Husbands, my number one physical relationship in my life is not to my kids. My kids do not come before my wife. And maybe I ought to say this to, the, to women, you know, more than even men. I, I love my babies with all my heart, but now it's a different level when it comes to my, 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 my wife and her kids. That's mama's babies. Not that she loves them any more than I do. It's just a different relationship. Mamas have a bond with their children that nobody else will ever have. They do. And that's not a bad thing. But I want to tell you something now. Listen to me. Wives, husbands, mothers and fathers, the kids cannot be number one in the home. That's not going to do you good. It's not going to do your husband good, your wife good, not going to do your kids any good. That is going to cause some extreme trouble in your household if the kids are number one in the eyes of either the husband or the wife. Because what will happen before long, the inmates will be running the asylum. They will. I've seen it all the time. That cannot be. The kid should never overrule a parent. And the parents need to be on the same page. Are you getting me? Get on the same page, get a plan together, and then enforce that with your children. So that both the husband and the wife feel respected, loved, and valued above everything else. Now when that happens, you can have a happy home. And a happy home creates happy children. The number one thing a kid wants to see is that mama and daddy are together for the long haul. They committed. They in this forever. When they feel that, they feel secure. And when they feel secure, they'll grow like they need to grow. They'll become what they want to become. Are you getting what I'm saying? But it all starts with the relationship of the husband and the wife. So your number one relationship above everything else has to be your wife 
as far as physical things go. But Paul says, when it comes to your service to the Lord, those who are married are to act like they ain't married. That means just because you're married, that shouldn't hinder your servants to God. It can't. If it hinders your service to the Lord, your fellowship to the Lord, your relationship with the Lord, then you're not even going to be the spouse that your spouse needs you to be. Are you getting what I'm saying? You've got to put Jesus first. So those who are married, he says, as far as your relationship to Christ, it'll be like you're not married. And he explains that. Let's go on. Verse number 30. And they that weep as though they wept not. He said, if you have sorrow in your home, if you have sorrow, don't let that hinder your service to the Lord. Let it be as though you weep not and keep serving Jesus. You're going to have it. But when it comes, don't let it hinder the most important thing. Verse 31, and they that use this world as not abusing it for the fashion of this world passeth away. He said, look, you ought to use the world but not abuse the world. This world is created by God and we as mankind have dominion over it. We can use it, but we shouldn't abuse it. How do we abuse it? Well, there's a lot of ways. One way that I see that man is abusing their relationship to the world today, I'm talking about the physical world, is worshiping it. How you know I love God's creation? But I don't worship God's creation. Amen? But I see that everywhere, don't you? I tell my kids all the time, they come home being, and, and some of this stuff that, that is taught in schools with the green movement. Oh my gosh. Now, don't get me wrong, folks. I believe, just like the old Alabama song said, we're going to leave a little green, uh, down, green grass below us, a little you know, blue up above us. I'm, I'm a conservationist, and always will be. I'm thankful for what the Lord has given us, and I enjoy nature. I'm a conservationist, but let me tell you what I'm not. I'm not a crazy environmentalist. And there's a big difference. It's amazing to me, amazing to me. Let, let me just give you a for instance. About, uh, let's see, when was it? Back in February, our district with the highway department was called over to uh, Piedmont, Alabama. Anybody ever been to Piedmont, Alabama? I'm going to tell you something. Piedmont, Alabama's in hills. We in the sticks in Piedmont. I didn't even realize we had this stuff in Alabama. I mean, we were about... Um, I guess 18 miles from uh, the Georgia line all the way in East Alabama. Northeast Alabama, extreme northeast. Up above uh, Gadsden, Aniston, um, over by, uh, what's the place, the vacation place? Um, Mentone, over by Mentone, not far from there. Well, over in Piedmont, beautiful country. Oh my gosh, man. It is just like being, I, w I would say it's, it, it's all, almost just like Pigeon Forge or, or Gatlinburg or something. That's what it looks like. And so what had happened, a slide, there was a slide that kept you know, happening on a, on a mountainside there and covering up a roadway. It's State Route 19 or State Route, not 19, but uh, maybe 16 over in Piedmont. I can't remember exactly. But anyway, it kept covering it up, done covered it up twice. And so they called us over to build a road into this slide so that uh, a contractor come in and drill and find out what needed to be done. If they could just dig out what was there and, and not have to cover it back up with riprap or, or then dig it out and, and put riprap back on it. But they had known all that when they drilled, you know, so we had to build the road in for it. 
And so they come in, they drilled, and found out, you know, what needed to be done. The slide had to be completely re redone in every way. You know, I had to dig all the bad out that was on the bottom, put some new good in so that the mountain would keep crumbling, stop crumbling off into the roadway because it's going to kill somebody if it didn't. And so they figured out what was going to have to happen, and we kept waiting and waiting and waiting because they were going to call us back to do it. And finally, we found out that, um, that the slide didn't need to be done. Somebody called us from Montgomery, said, you know what, slide's going to have to be done. Y'all going to get to do it. You got the bid. Um, and so we was like, okay, we'll be there you know, as soon as possible. Our boss told them that. Well, guess what happens? They said, no, you can't come right now. You won't be able to come to the fall. And they said, well, why can't we come now? It's going to be better weather if we can get up there and work in the dry. You know, we, we ain't having a lot of rain. Everything's dried out. Perfect time to work on a slide. Well, you can't come right now because the bats in Piedmont, Alabama, it's their mating season. And so we're going to wait to the fall to get in there and fix the slide. Now, now mind you, this done slid over a road twice. Houses all in this area. Side of a mountain sliding off. But we putting all that on hold because it's the bat's mating season. Does it bother you that you can go to prison for a long time for cracking an eagle's egg? But they're riding in the streets because some people want abortions in their state and can't have them? Does that bother you? It ought to. Use creation. Don't abuse creation. Amen? That's what he's talking about here. And then he goes on and says this. Go down to verse 39 and we're going to be done. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she so abide after my judgment, and I think also that I have the Spirit of God. Paul is essentially saying that for those Christians who are unmarried, it's not a sin to marry, but realize when you do, there's going to be some consequences. Realize that there are responsibilities. I didn't read all this to you, but you can go back and read it later. There are some responsibilities that married people have that will hinder you from serving the Lord. You know? And he says, you've got to think about what you do before you do it, the decision choice you make, because once you've made that, then you've got to take responsibility for your actions. Is really what he's telling us. So I hope this has been a blessing to you. First Corinthians chapter number seven. Any comments or questions?